Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I can promise you that's more of a welcome than I deserve, but I'm so thrilled to be with you today. Again, my name is Isaac, and I'm not just thrilled to be here to speak today, because uh, this is not one of um, the gifts God has given me to, to use every single week. Um, but I am so thrilled to be with you, to join arms, uh, hand in hand, arm in arm, uh, as a family and as a church to do our best to reach Collin County for Christ. And so uh, thrilled, thrilled to be here today. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that Pastor Mark has led us through a series called All In. And in this series, he has given us five habits that we need to put into our lives so we can, be, to, so we can know God more. So I want to review those five habits because if you're new today or if this is your first time or maybe you missed one of them, I want to go over them so you know what they are. But I also want you to know that if you missed one of those sermons, you can go to our website at lifepointplano.org and you can watch those and catch up and see what those five habits are because they are incredibly important. So I'm going to ask you, does anybody remember the first one? Pray for at least three people every single day that don't know Jesus. And some of you, if this is new, you're like, hey, what if I don't know three people that don't know Jesus? I can promise you this. If you ask God, he will reveal to you three people that you need to be praying for. So number one, pray for three people every single day that don't know Jesus. What was the second one? Does anybody remember? Read one chapter of the Bible every single day. Remember we said, shoot for seven, hit five, you're doing really, really good. Okay, so read at least one chapter. What was the third one? Does anybody remember? Look, y'all didn't even want to say that one out loud and it's on the screen behind me. <laughs> Financially give back some of what God has given you. We, we talked about how everything comes from God. It belongs to him, but it doesn't all, it's not all for us. And so financially give back some. The fourth one. Serving, right. Join a volunteer team at LifePoint. We celebrated last week that over 80 people took a step forward in their desire to serve others and to love others. So that was really cool. And then last week, what did we talk about? Who said that? There you go. Yes. I love it. Loud and clear. Join a life group. And I just want to celebrate that last week alone, we had over 160 people sign up for one of our life groups. Can we just give God praise for that today? That is exactly what we were hoping for. And God just as, as normal, just went over and above and beyond. So if you're here today and you didn't get to do one of those things, if you need some kind of reminder, if you want to sign up, I just want you to know that you can exit the doors, find the big desk in the middle of the lobby, and someone will help you uh, get signed up for whatever you would like to get signed up for. But today, I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge where some of you are today. Some of you have sat in these pews, or maybe you're online today at home, and you said yes to one of those five things, or two or three or four of those, maybe all five of those five things. And today you're sitting here thinking, I said yes, but I'm not near as excited today about the day that I was when I signed up for them. Like, what in the world have I done? Some of you, I want to acknowledge, when we listed those five things and just read through them together, there was one that you didn't sign up for, 
you didn't say yes to, and it kind of made an uneasy feeling in your stomach when we went past it. Because you're like, eh, maybe. Maybe that doesn't describe any of you, but some of you may have some uncertainties or some doubts about the future of LifePoint. Uh, our lead pastor, Mark, talked several weeks ago about launching a new campus north of here in the next 18 to 24 months, something like that. And when you hear those words, you're like, why? Because you're uncertain. You have doubts. Maybe it has nothing to do with church. Maybe it has everything to do with your family. Maybe a relationship with a child or with a spouse or with a coworker or with a neighbor. And you're just like, man, I just don't know about that or about them. My wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage this past May. And I can, if I'm honest with you, I've had doubts. And so I want you to know I understand about that. Maybe it has nothing to do with relationships. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe little Jimmy or little Johnny just got signed up for braces and you're like, oh, what do I do now? Because you're just unsure. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe it's not going to be there forever. Maybe, maybe it's with your time. Maybe you look at how much time you have and it's down here and how much activity you have and it's up here and you're like, they don't match. Something has to give. But I don't know which one to let go of. Maybe you're opposite of that. Maybe you have extra time and you want to invest it well in people. And you're just like, ah, I just don't know. Let me just ask this. Can we just be honest? And if you're at home on your couch, don't raise your hand so if your neighbors are looking through your window, they're going to think you're crazy. So just give me a head nod. But if you're in the room, can we just be honest? How many of you will raise your hand to this statement? I have uncertainties and doubts in my life. Some of you don't. We need to talk afterwards. Because <laughs> I need some counseling on how to get there. Now, here's, here's the deal. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us have certain doubts and uncertainties in our life. And if we don't today, we will tomorrow or next week or next year. And so I want to talk to you about doubt. Because there's a verse in Scripture in Hebrews eleven six 6 that says we can't please God without faith. And so this is what I believe most of the time. Faith is good, right? We want to please God. That's the thing we want to do. So we want a lot of faith. But if we have doubt, we kind of put that in a category complete opposite of faith. Like if we have faith, there's no room for doubt. And if we have doubt, there's no room for faith. But is that really how those two operate? I think some of us actually have put doubt in a sinful place. And so when we doubt, we just beat ourselves up. Because, man, I shouldn't be doubting. I shouldn't be doing this. And I want to give you three truths today about doubt. But if you're a note taker, before I give you that truth, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. It's going to be on the screen. Because I believe our whole sermon can be categorized or summarized by this. Without doubt, there is no need for faith. Without doubt, there is no need for faith. If we're certain of everything, then there's no uncertainty, and we do not need faith. Faith is not the opposite of doubt. It's merely the means by which we get through our doubt. And so, I told you I'm going to give you three 
truths about doubt, and then I'm going to give you three action steps. One, of what not to do, and two, of what you should do when it comes to your doubts. So number one, your doubts, again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Your doubts don't separate you from God. Your doubts do not separate you from God. Now, if you'll get your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the end of the the pew that, that you're sitting on, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Now, let me give you a little background to this scripture. So Jesus has fed 5,000, okay? So he's with his disciples. He's with a large group of people, and they say, hey, we need to feed this group. And Jesus said, okay, well, what food do we have? And they go, they find a boy that has some fish and some bread. They're like, we don't have enough. And, of course, Jesus works one of his amazing miracles when he blesses the food, and it feeds the 5,000 has food left over. Okay? That's where we're at. And then after that miracle, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you go ahead and go to the other side of the sea, big body of water. You go to the other side while I finish up here. And so the disciples get on a boat and they go out into the sea. And Jesus says, I'll meet you later. But if you think about it, more than likely they, they rode together, right? They carpooled in the boat to get to where they were at. And so when the disciples left, Jesus didn't have a boat to go meet them with. So Jesus, doing what Jesus does, he just walks on the water to them to meet up with them out on the sea. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, the disciples see Jesus coming, but they don't know that it's Jesus, and so they're terrified, and they're kind of freaking out if you go back and read the passage. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, 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 calm down. It's just me. It's Jesus. And this is where we pick up our story. Matthew 28 or 14, verse 28. Lord, if it's you. Now, this is Peter talking. And if you don't know who Peter is, just know if you have a hard time filtering what comes out of your mouth, you love Peter. Because he sets, a, he sets an example that God can still use you. That's why I love Peter. Sometimes my filter doesn't kick in fast enough. This is Peter. He says, Lord, if it's you. Do you hear the doubt in his voice already? The first words he has out there to Jesus specifically are, Lord, if it's even you, if you are who you say you are, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I absolutely love his request. His request wasn't come closer so my lamp, so I can see who you really are, or come closer because my flashlight doesn't reach that far. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, what you're doing is really cool, and if you really are Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. I want to get out of this boat, and I want to walk on the water. And so that's what he requests. Jesus replies, come. Now, if I was there, I'd have been like, all right, get out of the boat. But I'm not Jesus. So he just simply says, come. And I love what Peter does next. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, I want to just hit pause there for just a second, because normally when we talk about this scripture, we, we talk about what Peter does next, and, and we kind of get on to him for what he does next. Rightfully so, Jesus does too in just a minute. But can we just celebrate the fact that Peter got out of the boat? I mean, wrap your mind around this. Peter doesn't even know that it's Jesus. And he says, if it's even you, I want to do what you're doing. And Jesus says, okay, then come to me. And Peter literally climbs down out of the boat and walks on water. Can you just put yourself there? Would you have gotten out of the boat? Would you have tempted to do something that no one has ever done before? Think about the amount of faith that it took for Peter to climb down out of the boat. And that's what he does. So we want to celebrate the faith that Peter showed 
in that. But then in verse 30, he says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, turned to Jesus, cried out, and he says, Lord, save me. Now, I want us to all say the next word together. Ready? Say, immediately. Nope, do it again. Ready? Immediately. Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I want you to understand, think about this. Peter had doubt, and then he had faith, and then he had doubt. And what happened to God in this story? He got closer to Peter. When Peter was doubting, when he was having his doubt and he started to sink in the water, Jesus didn't say, oh, you doubt it, I can't have anything to do with you. He didn't say, you deserve that. He didn't say, I'm right here, come to me. He said, no, immediately. Jesus went to Peter. In this story, Peter's doubt actually drew God closer. So the first truth that we learn is that your doubts do not separate you from God. Secondly, if you're taking notes, your doubts don't deny God's promises. Your doubts do not deny God's promises. I want you to just flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 28. In verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, and I'm going to give you a little background here too. Jesus has gone to the cross and he has died and in three days he rose back to life. And if, if that seems weird to you, if you're just checking out this church thing, maybe you're online, you're like, whoa, what are you talking about? Somebody dying, coming back to life. I'm going to, I'm going to explain that later. Okay, so just stay with me for now. We're going to go through the story. I'll come back to that. But Jesus has died, been resurrected and now he's going back to his disciples to tell them one last thing before he leaves them for good. And, and this is very similar to, say, someone's on their deathbed and, and, and they know that their time is drawing to the end. I, because of what I do, I have been there several times when they said, hey, Isaac, could you go get my spouse? Could you go get my son, my daughter, my parent? And, and the next few words are the most important words that they can come up with at that time. Hey, I'm leaving you. I'm not going to get to talk to you anymore, this side of heaven. And so what I have to say is very, very important. That's where Jesus is. He's about to leave his followers, and he says, hey, I got something to tell you. And he says in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, now he kind of gets braggadocious right here. And you would think it was being arrogant, except it's Jesus, and he backs all of this up. It's very true. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why did he say that? We're going to talk about that here in just a second. It's all been given to me, all the power. I have it all. And then he tells them what he wants them to do, which is the same message to us that he's telling us that he wants us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he makes a promise. Here's his promise. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want you to see something in this passage. His promise was not a reward for their faith. It was in direct response to their doubt. You're like, hey, I, got I didn't just read that in that, in that scripture. How, how do you know that? Well, because we didn't read the whole passage. That's why you always want to put your, your text in context. So let's go back. Let's look at verse 17, okay? Verse 17. 
When they saw him, when his followers, when his disciples saw him, Jesus, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And here it is. Say this out loud. But some but some doubted. And I absolutely love Jesus' response. I believe the reason why he starts out what he's going to tell them, by, instead of just saying, here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to be with you, he puts that first line in there. When Jesus came to the disciple, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know what that means? I'm going to make you a promise, and because all authority has been given to me, I will be with you, and there's absolutely nothing that can stop me from doing that. Because I have all the authority. And I have all the power. In this passage, the promise was not a reward for faith, but yet in direct response to their doubt. So, truth number one. Anybody remember it? Your doubts don't separate you from God. Number two, your doubts don't deny God's promises. And then number three is this. Your doubts don't define your faith. They actually help develop it. Your doubts don't define your faith. They develop it. Remember Peter? We just talked about the story of Peter. He had doubt, and then he had faith, and then he had doubt. And God used Peter in a mighty, mighty way. The disciples, when they saw Jesus, they had their doubts. God God used the disciples to literally start the church that you and I sit in today, whether you're at home or in the room. Use them mightily. And and I want to tell you that if a prerequisite for God being able to use us was the lack of doubt or the absence of doubt, that I couldn't even be on this stage today talking to you. You see, when I was 15 years old, I was at a student camp. For those of you that don't know what that is, we get away for a week, away unplugged, basically, and we they teach you about God and how you can follow God, know God, and follow God for a week. And, and that's where I was. I was in a camp just outside Albuquerque, New Mexico. And when I was 15, I clearly heard God say, Isaac, I want you to be in ministry, like doing what I'm doing today. I want you to do that. But I didn't answer him. I did answer him. I told him no. Do you know Why? because I wasn't good enough. I had doubts that God could use me because I just wasn't good enough. God gave me some incredible leaders in my life, spiritual leaders in my life, and I looked at their lives and I looked at my life and I'm like, they're, they're so good at what they do, I could never ever do that. I'm just flat not good enough. And then as time went on, my doubts changed. It went from I'm not good enough to I don't live the right kind of life. Because after 15 comes high school. And I wasn't the greatest kid in high school. I know the thoughts that went through my mind and the things that were in my heart. And I'm like, there's no way, God, you could use me because I don't live the right kind of life. And then that doubt changed. And it changed to, you can't provide the kind of life that I want. God, I doubt that you can provide the kind of life that I want. You see, I thought, and I'm going to date myself when I tell you some of this stuff, and it's okay, I'm old, it's okay. I thought everyone 
for breakfast every day had oatmeal or malt meal. And I know some young people in the room are like, what? Not the prepackaged kind. I'm talking about the big box kind, right? I didn't, I didn't know you could have cereal for breakfast. I didn't, I didn't know you, that you could have McDonald's or toast or bacon or sausage or eggs or fruit or any of those things. I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible. But the older I get the, got, the more I learned. And I'm like, hey, I don't want to live that kind of life. And God, if I go into ministry, because my dad was in ministry, I thought, I got in my head, that if I go into ministry, that that's the kind of life I'm going to live. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, I like Krispy Kreme, I want to go buy a donut. <laughs> and I, I told God that my doubt was, you, I doubt that you can provide the kind of life that I want. And then I got married. And she is my queen. And I want the best for her. And I was like, God, there's no way if I do that, if I go into ministry and do that with my life, there's no way I can make my wife happy. No way. Then we had kids. And I said, God, there's no way if I do what you want me to do, that I can provide the kind of life for my kids that I want. You see, I remember in high school, I played football in high school, I remember the day that they gave us our uniforms and our pads and all the stuff. And I went to the coach and I said, Coach, what about cleats? There's no cleats in my locker. And he said, well, so many people have so many different preferences, we just let you buy your own. I'm telling you, the weight that was set on my shoulders in that statement. I, I, I remember waiting until everyone else left and I was the only one left in the locker room and I, I went and I found my coach in his office and I had tears in my eyes and I said, Coach, that doesn't work for me. I can't play football. And he's like, why? I'm like, I can't afford cleats. And of course he gave me cleats. But this is what I thought in the moment. I want my boys, and when they, if they want to play soccer when they're three years old, they come home and say, Dad, this is the kind of cleat I want. I said, I will order them from Europe, and I don't care how much I have to pay. Like, that's what I wanted for my children. And God, if, if, if I do what you want me to do, I can't do that. I doubted him. And if you boil all of those doubts down, I really had one doubt. I doubted God was big enough. By my actions, I looked the God of the universe in the face and I said, you're not big enough. And for 15 years, I stood with my feet firmly planted in the boat. until my doubts got so heavy and there were like shackles and chains on me. The God of the universe not only came up to me, he got in the boat beside me, he put his arm around me, he took me by the hand and he's like, Isaac, I've got you. Do you not understand that I literally just opened my mouth and all that you know that exists today came into existence? I have all the authority and I have all the power. You need to trust me 
He had his arm around me and had my hand in his. And he said, come on. Let's get out of the boat. And for 15 years, I was, I was right here. This is my comfort zone. This is, this is what I knew. This is what I wanted. But I knew God had more for me. And finally, after being still for 15 years, I picked up my foot. And I stepped out of the boat. And I realized, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then I picked up my foot and I put it down again. And again, and again, and again. And I will stand before you today and testify, he has not once, ever, ever left my side. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for you. Do you know why? Because our doubts, they don't define our faith. They help develop it. And so I told you I would give you three action steps. I I never want to leave you without something to do. So you want to write these down. When you doubt, and I said when you doubt, not if you doubt, because you will doubt. When you doubt, the first action step, as funny as it sounds, is don't freak out. When you doubt, don't freak out. Why do we not need to freak out? Why do we not need to beat ourselves up? Well, I just told you why. Because our doubts do not separate us from God. Our doubts do not deny his promises, and our doubts can actually help build our faith. It's like resistance training. It's like when we pick up a weight. It's heavy, yes, but the more we pick it up and the more we move it forward, the stronger we get. That's what our doubt does for our faith. It helps develop it. So, when you doubt, number one, don't freak out. Number two, when you doubt, test your doubt. Test your doubt. First Thessalonians 5.21 says to test everything. So what do we test it against? Well, we test it against the answer key. You remember when there was an answer key and you did a test and you got the answer key and you compared them, right? So what's right and what's wrong? You compare them against the answer key. Well, where do you find the answers to our doubts? Well, number one, in God's Word. The reason one of the habits in order to know God more, to get into His Word, is because we can know Him more. And we can take His Word and we can compare it to our doubt. And if doubt is A and His Word is B, then you need to correct your answer. Test it against His Word. Number two, test it against His Word. And then test it against his promises. Literally, in his word is where you'll find his promises. Again, that's why we want you to be in his word. God gives us literally hundreds of promises. If God's promise says this answer and your doubt says this answer, you need to correct your answer. Test it against his word, his promises. And then number three, against his character. So, well... Isaac, where is his character? Where do I find out about his character? In his word. That's why we want you to be in his word. And if his character says A and you say C in your doubt, you need to change your answer. Test it. See where they don't line up. Follow the truth. And then the fourth thing, if you've known Christ for any time at all, for some reason we forget this one. Test it against your past experiences with God. You see, many times God has helped us in this area and then he's helped us in this area and then he's helped us in this area and we get so focused on the situation that we're in currently, we totally forget that he's helped us through bigger 
circumstances in the past. Test your doubts against what God has already done for you. So, when you doubt, don't freak out. Test your doubt. And then the last thing is trust anyway. When you doubt, trust anyway. I am not asking you to trust the situation you're in. Because you're not God and you can't see everything. But I am asking you to trust the God of the situation. Now, there's two groups of people that can hear me today, whether you're online or in the room. The first group of people are those that have a relationship with Christ. And the second group of people are those that don't have a relationship with Christ. I want to talk to that group first. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, I told you I was going to kind of explain the death and resurrection thing a little more. If you don't know Christ, what I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, as sure as I'm standing here, if you don't know him, his greatest desire for your life today is to begin a relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you know, we talked about faith and doubt having being polar opposites, and that's not really how they work. Well, sin and a holy God that we sang about today, those are polar opposites, and they, you, they, they can't be together. Because you have sin in your life. And I know we don't like that word, but it's simply just not doing something we know we should do or doing something we know we shouldn't. So that's pretty easy for us. We've all been there. Every single day, I, I do those things and I don't do those things. So I sin. So I have to realize that we sin. And God wanted a relationship with you so bad that sin separates you from him that he sent his son to live on this earth a perfect life he had to die on the cross, and then he rose again in three days. But that death paid the debt for your sin. The consequences of your sin, we still have to go through that here on earth. But as far as the debt that we owe, Jesus paid that, and he paid it for you. And then you just have to accept that gift, like it's just sitting there waiting for you to accept, and then you have to commit to follow him. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I just want you to know right now where you're seated, in a pew or in your couch at home, you can begin that relationship by admitting you're a sinner. That one's easy. Believing that Jesus came and died for your sins so you could have a relationship with God, accepting that gift, and then just saying, you know, for, to the best of my ability, I, I'm, I'm going to live the life you want me to live, God, not the one I want to live. Now, if you make that commitment today, if you want to make it or if you already have made it, I want you to know we want to help you. So if you're online, go to our website, lifepointplano.org, find my face, click on it, and email me. I want to help you. I have more of a beard in the picture, just so you know. But if you're in the room, when we get done, I'm almost done, then we're going to sing, we're going to worship, one more song. But after that, there's this glassed-in area at the back of the room. People are waiting there to help you, to answer any questions, to give you some tools that will help you in your relationship. Now to those of you that know Christ. You have a relationship with him. This is also what I know. He wants you to be moving forward in your faith. Yes, there's a time for rest. I get all of that. But he wants you to be moving forward in your faith. So there is something that he wants you to do. And if you don't know right now what he wants you to do, right now you can ignore me right after I tell you what to do for just a few seconds and just say, God, what do you want me to do? 
He wants so bad for you to move. He will answer you. Just ask him. Maybe it's you need to get rid of something. Maybe it's you need to add something. I don't know, but you do. And so the question is, what does God want you to do? And then the follow-up question to that is, why are you still in the boat? What is hindering you from taking that step forward? Because doubt will hold your feet in the boat. And if you pick it up and, and, and let doubt become fear, fear will actually move you backwards. Or you can push through that fear with your faith and move forwards. God wants you to move forward. So what does he want you to do and why are you still in the boat? Now I've got one more question and a comment and a question and then I'm done. I believe with all of my heart that God would rather have one doubter in the water than 11 in the boat any day. My question to you is which one will you be? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the power that is in your word and God, the message that is in your word. God, I'm grateful that you can tell us stories and, and we can pull things from it to help us move forward in our faith and move forward in our lives. God, you're so faithful to us. We sang about it earlier today. God, your grace is so awesome. But God, if there is someone here today that does not have a relationship with you, my prayer, and I know it's your desire, is that they begin that relationship. So God, give them the courage to admit that they don't do things right all the time. And to know that they can't fix that for themselves. They can't pay that debt. And God, you want so badly to have a relationship with them that you sent your son to pay it for them. They just have to accept a gift and commit to follow you. But God, I know many people that can hear me this morning. They need to take a step forward. Maybe it's one of the five things that we talked about the last five weeks, those habits. Maybe it has nothing to do with those, but something to do with somewhere else in their lives. God, I'm asking for courage today. I'm asking for boldness. That God, when they pick their foot up to move forward, that they can move through their faith, through their doubt and into their faith. And God, that they would not allow themselves to do what I did for 15 years. And that's to do nothing. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts God, that you would allow us to, when we leave here, to be one step closer to you, no matter who we are, including myself. God, change us. Because, God, your grace is so awesome. And you're so faithful and you're so holy. And, God, you will step into our lives. And our lives will never, ever, ever be the same again. So, God, we praise you. We honor you. We're grateful for you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.